Sound Space, brought to you by Spectrum Life, bringing you real life, real conversation, and real advice from the best in class experts across all areas of physical and mental well being. Join our host weekly and learn how to improve and reflect on your well being. Welcome to this episode with me, Lauren Gilfoyle. This week I'm joined by Gwailgor, TikToker and agricultural enthusiast Shane O'Sullivan. Over the next couple of weeks I will be chatting to people from all walks of life about how they took on the challenge to make, manage and prioritise habits that benefits both their physical and mental well-being despite the busyness of the world around them. My guest today has emerged as one of Ireland's TikTok sensations as he documents the realities of farming life in modern Ireland aided by his dog Brandy while he is an avid promoter of Gaeilge, the Irish language. As always, this podcast seeks to explore our relationship with physical activity and exercise, so I'm intrigued to hear how Shane's relationship with exercise has changed following a recent accident. Shane, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Lauren. How did you find that introduction? I wasn't sure exactly how to fit it all in. You summed it up perfect. I don't know what to say about myself now. You've said everything in my life. <laughs> I know there's, there's surely a little bit more to you. Yeah. That's going to be my, my first question for those that maybe aren't familiar with mm. who you are and kind of the lifestyle that you lead. Would you like to perhaps, I suppose, expand on that introduction a, a little bit? Yeah. So like you say, I'm from rural Ireland in County Kerry. I grew up on a farm. We're a dairy farm and we have sheep as well. Um as you say, my main passion in life probably is the Irish language and culture in general, really. Uh, the promotion and sustenance of that is a big goal for me and a massive part of my life. Um, as you said as well, I've recently come to a bit more of, po- I won't say popularity, but a few more people know me anyway, because uh, my dog, Brandy, like you said, happened to blow up on the internet. So I'm kind of known as the carry cowboy around the place now, more so than <laughs> Shane. <laughs> and... I suppose so like you're you've just finished college I believe mm-hmm. yeah. and you're now kind of trying to like navigate well I suppose you probably probably had some summer plans in place but they've been somewhat scuppered by a recent accident but we'll get into that a little bit later um mm-hmm. but I suppose do you want to give us kind of an insight into what like a normal week might look like for you when it comes to I suppose your worker and the farm because I won't lie I, I'm from rural Ireland but I haven't the first clue I've never I've rarely been on a farm I don't live by any I have we don't have a farm like this is all completely new territory to me so do you want to maybe kind of bring it back to basics and and give us an insight into what that kind of work looks like Mm-hmm. So we're in the summertime now and I'll base it off last year's summer would we'll say because as you said I'm not too active this summer but um, it's not a crazy busy time of year the cows are milking twice a day as usual but our calves are growing up and they're out in the grass so they're quite independent they don't need as much care as they would in the springtime but the big job at the moment and you probably see massive tractors taking up the road is the silage season and my father now and uncles and things are very big into that whereas I like to kind of do my own thing so although I'm working in the farm at home, I also last summer was working with Kerry Agribusiness in a feed store. So I was driving a forklift and dealing with farmers at various jobs. Just to have my own kind of income coming in, I suppose, was the drive for that. And to get a taste of the world, I was working mostly back in West Kerry. And as we mentioned already, I love Irish. So that was a great opportunity to, to look at Irish from a different scale there and a more natural kind of way of speaking it. Um, 
so yeah, with the silage, that's probably what most people are busy with at the moment. Uh, the sheep are very quiet. They're just literally minding themselves. I haven't seen them in weeks. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so the big, the big thing at the moment would be the milking of the cows and the silage season. And again, like I'm going to bring it even back to more basics. My understanding of milking cows is you get up at like the crack of dawn, mm-hmm. go do a lot of like manual. I know you kind of have different machines that have to help you. I'm going so basic as if I know. Um, but that's something that like has to happen literally every single morning. Yeah, so it happens twice a day. And you're right to bring it back to basics because that's, what's hap- that's what happens to me and TikTok all the time. I just throw out a phrase and I get so many comments saying like, what is Yana about? So I have to bring it back a bit more basic. So what we do is, like you say, up at the crack of dawn, I have the dog outside the door, mad fraction. She rounds them up, brings them up from the field because in Ireland, our cows are grass fed. In a lot of European countries, the cows are inside in sheds their whole lives. But our cows are very lucky. They have that freedom. So they come in around maybe six o'clock. And yeah, we have machines to milk them now. So we're milking 10 at a time. Whereas my grandparents' generation, they would have been doing it all by hand. So that mm. would have taken a lot more time. Uh, they go into a holding shed then, have a bit of a breakfast. They get kind of cereal that's high in protein and things just to give them that added supplement as well as the grass. And then they go out for the day again. And when you say you like you have a machine now again i'm trying to bring it as back like that's still like you're still like doing a lot of work in terms of getting those machines on and off again like you i know you're not sitting there like, <laughs> milking with others and whatnot um but it's still quite kind of a, a a heavy job i suppose first thing in the morning yeah you'd want to be a morning person for it really uh, my mother is probably the best of all of us to be honest um it's amazing actually the way she has with the cows she, like she knows every one of them their personality she could tell you what their own mother was like she just knows <laughs> them inside out but uh, it is quite a physically intense job because you have to move quickly to get the clusters we call them that's what attaches to the cows other from one to the other and you have to be watching the whole time as well to make sure they're all healthy because of course you can't have any contaminated milk going into the tank and into human consumption so you have to be watchful the whole time, but as well, it, there is a physical intensity to it. And how long does that whole process take? I know it might like, obviously vary with the number of cows you have. Mm. But... So we have 88 cows at home and we have 10 unit parlour. So it takes just over an hour, which is fast enough, really. Not too bad. And then, so when they kind of have been fed and kind of let back out again, what does the rest of the day look like? Are you cleaning up? Right? Like what, or does it change kind of week to week? So yeah, the bacterial count is a very important thing that we have to keep down. So the hygiene of it is a massive thing, but that only takes about 15 minutes again. Um, last summer now, I would have been after Dingle or after Carcevine somewhere to get the job done for the day. And the rest of them be going cutting grass and making bales in. And we'd all be back around maybe five or six o'clock in the evening and the process just repeats. So it's a continuous cycle. Yeah, and I suppose what's jumping out at me there is that, that kind of has to happen twice a day, every single day, like even Saturdays and Sundays, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cows don't know what a weekend is. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose, again, like that's a lot of like, if I was to get up at six o'clock every morning, like every single morning, I can only imagine the toll that might take on me, but I just want to sleep in. But like farmers don't really have that option unless they kind of get like a, a farm hand in. Yeah, not in dairy unless you're using farm relief, as you say, but that's that's an expensive option as well. You couldn't keep that going. But uh, you do get two months off, so the cows are given a break in the winter just so they can restore their weight and things if they're falling behind a bit. It just gives them a break to get ready for calving again. So I suppose farmers get a break then. But uh, as you know, in Ireland, uh, December and January aren't exactly ideal times to go for a staycation or something weather-wise. So uh, it's not ideal timing, but that's probably why I, looking forward, 
because I have interests in other areas too. I'd like to stay involved with farming, but I probably couldn't commit to dairy because like you say, it is such a commitment to be there twice a day. And even when you're not there, you're ensuring their health. You're, there's so much to it outside of just the milking, you know, in terms of their, their health and their management, the grass and care, all of it. There's a lot tied into it. So I'd probably go down the route of sheep myself or beef because, uh, well, the dog does most of the work then and I find that very <laughs> handy. And uh, like you say, you could manage just seeing them every couple of days instead of being with them hands on twice a day. And is there any kind of differences? Because obviously you, you mentioned you're kind of in, in the, the dairy farming industry. Is there any significant differences to like those other types of farms in terms of what their workload might look like? Or do you have, and I, I suppose you probably have a better insight than me into mm. those types of farms? Well, dairy would be the most um, hands-on contact of any type of farming, really. When you're talking about crops and things, which wouldn't be common in the west of Ireland just because of the weather we have, mm-hmm. you're showing up to spray them, um, planting, whatever. You've set days, but it's only every couple of weeks. Whereas then with beef farming, once the cows are fed, they look after themselves. You know, there's the time of calving, maybe if you have calves, but some people just fatten animals. They don't even have a calving time. So really, once they're fed and healthy, that's all that's to it. Even our sheep are very manageable. I could see them every two weeks or three weeks they just they're basically wild animals they just manage themselves but uh brandy will bring them in now and again so i can check they're all doing well but i'd probably go for a less hands-on style of farming myself than we're doing at home at the moment and then because of that kind of commitment like at the moment or even like moving not even your own personal experience maybe people around you as well um Mm. is there a desire then to go hurling training or to go to the gym because you have such a physically demanding job? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because my grandfather, as I said, the farming was much more hands-on at that time. Even the cutting of hay and things was really a job done by your own hand rather than a big machine. And still, he used to do boxing. He was mad for football. You know, they had very active lifestyle at the time. And then you see my father's generation where it's a lot of it is machine work, but it still takes a lot of time. But you see that farmers of that generation are kind of, they're not so active anymore. My father never played football or anything, you know, and even a lot of his friends in his generation, they would have been so focused in agriculture that there wasn't much time or energy for sport outside of that. Because mm-hmm. I suppose that kind of feeds into my whole purpose, I suppose, with this um, podcast is to look at our relationship with exercise because I just, even when I was asking that question, I was kind of thinking, well, what would be the motivation to go and be active outside of that kind of lifestyle because if you're doing it to, to get your steps up well then like you, you've that ticked off the list yeah, like yeah. If you're doing it to I suppose lead a kind of a, a healthier lifestyle in adverted commas like what kind of additional benefits are you getting by going to a Zumba class whereas I suppose you're probably feeding into like when you mentioned about your grandfather the enjoyment aspect of it because I suppose Farming probably was quite isolating and it probably still is to an extent as well. So it's kind of mm-hmm. more the social aspect of physical activity and sport that you might be looking for. Completely, because as you say, the cardio is well covered. Um, I, like my childhood was very active. I was either at the bog turning turf or I was wrestling calves or something, you know. But it was only when I went to college that I really felt the need to go to a gym. I suppose that just mm-hmm. active part of my life that you know, your body doesn't realize what you're doing. But like you say, my steps would have been minuscule compared to what I was used to. And I just felt this need to have an outlet for that energy. So it's kind of then that I kind of got more into fitness when I went to college, because 
it hadn't really been something I'd been focused on. And like you say, if you go back to the older generations, I'd be good friends with uh, Mikko Connell, arguably the greatest footballer there ever was, you know. And I asked him about like what kind of fitness training they were doing back in the 1960s. But he said there was no focus on fitness. It was about the skill. But the main thing they were playing football for was the crack, the community, just the enjoyment that they'd get out of it. Because farming, like you said, is an isolated sort of a lifestyle. I found it my own father, you know, everyone was complaining about the lockdown, about how all the social aspects of life were gone. But his life did not change one bit. Like he goes to the shop maybe once a week. That's probably the only time he sees people. He used to go to the pub maybe once every two weeks. That was about it. His contact, his human contact is actually so low that it's crazy. And there's a lot of farmers across the country that are the same way. Yeah, so I suppose that's kind of maybe where some of the motivation might come from if someone was to go and kind of engage in sport, it is for that 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 social aspect, um, perhaps. And then it's interesting there, you mentioned how you kind of felt the need to be more physically active when you went to college. Did you notice any kind of changes in terms of like your physical health, your mental health, just your general kind of mood and well-being as a result of kind of going from like being really active to like sitting in lectures all day? Yeah, the abs started to leave me, I noticed, all right. <laughs> I suppose that's a combination of reduced activity and as well, you know, there was the, the little aspect of partying and things that uh, had that effect. But I just felt in my own energy levels, you know, it wasn't even an aesthetic thing that I just had this energy and I needed to get it out. And like I said, there was no sheep to be running around or anything like that. I was in an urban setting. So I suppose I just, I just joined a the gym then and I got really intense into it. I really did enjoy it. I love that you call Thurlis an urban setting. I suppose it is. It is to me, yeah. <laughs> People from Thurlis find that crazy. They, they think it's a real country place, but to me, that is grey streets. Like It's like it's like New York to me. Like. Yeah, the cosmopolitan area of Thurlis. It's well known for it. Um, and then coming back to, I suppose, life on the farm, um, farming injuries, and I don't necessarily mean like traumatic. Like, obviously, we do hear some horror stories, unfortunately, of like, really traumatic um, events happening around the farm but from my experience as a physio and working in I won't call it the the urban setting of Nina but I was (laughs) back in that kind of environment meeting a lot of farmers and them coming in with kind of overuse type injuries Um, and like my physio brain is instantly saying okay we're going to have to deload completely and gradually get back into work and they're looking at me laughing on best of luck with that like it's not um, enough to know it's, it's not an option um so I suppose have you had any experience of kind of having to power through or maybe your dad or, or your grandfather in terms of like your body just like something has happened but you you can't actually afford yourself the time to actually let that heal mm-hmm. you won't find someone in farming over 40 years of age that isn't broke up in some way and you definitely won't find someone that's taking it easy I know <laughs> dairy farmers have tennis elbows shoulder issues plantar fasciitis you hear all these kind of things but Mm -hmm. they can't afford to do anything about it because the lifestyle doesn't afford for that opportunity to rest and recuperate as needs be there's always something to be done you know they're picking stones today and uh, they were hoping that I was going to come with them and you know steer a tractor or something and I I have one arm hanging down and I was actually considering it you got you got me out of that today (laughs) (laughs) uh, yes exactly but um yeah there's definitely you see when you have such a physical job and there's so much weight involved with it like you wouldn't even think it we're lifting 50 kg bags and things that you know it sounds like nothing when you're binge in the gym but when you're picking it up off the ground that is serious weight you know and that is 
strain on the back, especially when people aren't trained for that kind of thing. You're just mm-hmm. thrown into it. So injuries are everywhere. But like you say, with the lifestyle, they can't afford to take six weeks off. You know, mm-hmm. the cows aren't going to last. Somebody yeah. has to do the work and that's just the way it goes. And then have you come across any kind of, I don't know, strange farming injuries? Maybe not in your own experience. But I remember when I was working in Dublin, again, like I was literally in Temple Bar. So I was really in an urban setting. But I had um, a, I think it was a veterinary student come into me and she had a shoulder injury. And again, I was going through my like subjective assessment, you know, telling what happened, how it happened. And she was like, well, I had my arm up Mm -hmm. a cow's bum. (laughs) And she's like, I I was like all the way in. And then the cow moved. Shoulder deep. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, okay, I've never come across this before. But especially not in this setting. Um, you know, being in the middle of Dublin city, but she was a vet student in UCD at the time. So yeah. like again, like obviously we, we we managed it as normal. And as a veterinary student, she definitely had a lot more kind of time to rest and recover as a result of that. But have you come across anything kind of strange in that world? Vets, co- vets come out with amazing in- injuries altogether. Um, I know a fella that broke both his wrists pulling a calf out of a cow, and he just had to keep going. He couldn't <gasps> stop with both the wrists broken. Oh. It's a great feat of strength, but like you say, adrenaline in the moment, you'll find that you will pull through things. But uh, that's one I've heard. I've, I've seen a farrier, and I actually witnessed this. It was at a hunt, get kicked square in the chest by a horse. He actually went flying back. It was like a movie. But uh, his sternum was cracked. I don't know how many ribs were broken, but like you'd see serious injuries dealing with animals, all right. But they're unpredictable. That's the thing. Yeah, I suppose kind of that's the, the beauty and the beast of it, isn't it, really? Like working with animals and kind of having that interaction, but also like coming yeah. across one that maybe isn't having a good day. They have, they have the temperament of, a, of an angry child, except that they are like 10 times the weight of you. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then throughout your like childhood, I suppose, and teenage years, how active were you outside of, of kind of the farm and the home environment? Constantly, really. Um Yesterday, actually, I was doing a project with the TG Cahar and they were talking to me about gaming and PlayStation, but I haven't a clue. I, I haven't done any of that in my whole childhood. Like, it was always outside, you know. I was three years old when we moved to the farm here when my father inherited it from his father. And uh, there was a sheep dog there, Pedro. And apparently I used to just annoy him all day long, pulling his ears, pulling his tail. And he'd try and keep me away from cattle and things. Like, at that age, I was just out and about, not a fear in me. But... Uh, yeah, I got my first part-time job when I was 11, <laughs> turning turf. I was getting four euro an hour and uh, an ice cream at the end of the day. So I was delighted. Like, But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we were always outside. Myself and my sister as well. There was no sitting around. And we weren't allowed to be bored in this house. That's a story my mm-hmm. mom always says. Um, apparently, I said it once when I was like five or six that I was bored. And I was given enough work to fill up the day. And it was never said again. <laughs> yeah, it's so, a bit wild how like... I don't know, childhoods now are going to be so wildly different. Like, I would imagine even there's probably people listening to this now that are like turf. Like, I thought that was a thing in like the 1800s. Whereas like <laughs> a lot of my summers are being forced to go to the bog as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's weird how it... Uh, You're all the better like, for it though. Well, yeah, absolutely. And did you ever play kind of sport, soccer? Obviously in Kerry, football is obviously a big thing. Was that ever something you engaged in? Sandspace will return after this brief message. Hi there, I'm Kira McNulty, and I want to tell you about my podcast, which is part of the Soundspace series. 
It's called Nourished Life, and in it, I will be chatting with some pretty incredible professionals like Simon Hill, also known as Plant Proof, Maeve Hannon from Dietetically Speaking, and Ashing O'Kelly from AOK Nutrition. We'll be covering topics like understanding the impact of diet on your longevity, disease risk, and planetary health, breaking through restrictive lifestyle habits, and using diet as a tool to optimize your gut, skin, and mental health. I myself am a registered dietitian and wellness advocate, and my goal is to connect with a wide variety of professionals, practitioners, consumers, and other interesting individuals to dissect the role that diet plays in our overall lifestyle. I'm passionate about making this somewhat overwhelming field accessible to anyone with no previous understanding of nutrition required. I really, really hope to connect with you guys there. See you at Nourished Life. Yeah, I played a lot of sports, but um, I was rowing a lot, playing basketball, football, like you say. There was, I was kind of at everything, but I wasn't crazily committed because I was always farming as well. That was another aspect of it, you know. But um, I'd like to get, and we'll talk more about that after X and all that, I do see the need for organized sport in someone's life, the value of being in a team in that kind of setting. It's something I really miss now, but um, yeah, it probably would have been a bigger part of my life when I was much younger, but just getting jobs and things then in the summer and you know mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of horse riding one time they thought I was going to be a sensation but it didn't turn out that way but uh, <laughs> a lot a lot of that took up my time so I, I guess I, I did kind of veer away from it but I still have the interest of course yeah because again this whole podcast series is all about you know relationship with exercise and it's really nice to hear that like again I've, I'm trying to kind of identify different pathways that it doesn't have to be organized sport it doesn't have to be the gym that there are so many other possibilities to be physically active and even in your kind of uh, experience that like the home environment and the farm environment was that for you you didn't need anything external and obviously that just changed when you went to college and um, mm. so that's this was an interesting kind of take and kind of ticks the box for me in terms of the, the point of this podcast if we were to get on to kind of this year, I suppose, um, I know you've, sp- you've spoken about this, Asperla, and your, your followers have been crying out to hear the story, Asperla, um, so hopefully that will get a few more listeners to the podcast, but you you sustained a pretty significant injury. Yeah, injury fair- <laughs> a fairly serious one, all right. Um, so I was down in South Kerry with some friends down in Balanskelligs, there's a castle there, and you know, we were chatting away, whatever happened to be two stories high, which is always a great idea to have a chat up there, I suppose. Uh, in hindsight, I probably could have stayed, you know, ground level. But anyway, I happened to fall backwards and landed onto some rocks. And it's only recently that I went back and saw those rocks. But I don't know how I'm alive, to be honest with you. They were really jagged and sharp, sticking up like, you know, and I could actually see in the earth where I had landed, like there was kind of an impact and kind of a scuffle around there. But um. Yeah, unfortunately, I broke 13 bones in my body and it punctured my lung so two months ago. But uh, I'm coming back to myself slowly but surely. And I suppose you, you spent a bit of time in hospital. How did that experience go, obviously, in these kind of strange COVID times where there was no visitors allowed either, which is, isn't ideal? Yeah, and, you know, I get asked that a lot. Um, I spent four days in ICU and I think it was 10 days in total I was in hospital, but I actually didn't want visitors which sounds so strange, but 
I don't know. I was just so broke up, so torn apart that I just didn't want anyone to see me and I just didn't want to see anyone. I was just so driven and focused on recovering that like I had people ringing me and they were crying and things and I just had no time for that energy. And it sounds so like unsympathetic, but I just had this fierce motivation that I was going to get out of this. I was going to be perfect again. And I didn't need to hear anyone crying. I didn't need to hear anyone feeling sorry for me. All I needed was belief in me. And so in some sense, in those very vulnerable times, when you think I'd need visitors most, I actually was grateful that nobody could come into me. Yeah, because that's, um, yeah, that's interesting. Like any listeners to this podcast will know that I'm like fascinated by the psychology of, of injury and how everyone deals with a little bit different with that. And kind of, we could all, like we, could, we could all sustain the same injury, but it's our, our perception of it and our response to it that can be very different and that can drive kind of, how successful our rehab is as well because you like it was 13 fractures you said 13 fractures yeah and a punctured lung and you'd no surgery no and I, I was actually scheduled for surgery that's why I was sent up to Cork I originally went into in Kerry but they said that they'd send me up for surgery in Cork but by the time I got there the the hole in the lung had actually sealed itself the bleeding had stopped when they did the scan on me and uh, the next thing then was they were going to put a drain into me. So they're going to give me an epidural and put a drain into me. I was, this is about two days in. So I was kind of coming around conscious wise. And uh, I just said no. And I have no, you know, knowledge of medical, you know, stuff like that. I have no clue. But I just had this belief that I can do this all on my own. I'm going to clear this out. And uh, the anesthesist was actually right in front of me. I remember him setting up his gear ready to knock me out to put in this drain. And I just coughed up a load of blood. That's probably not great for your uh, podcast now. But <laughs> sorry, listeners, but that's how it happened. Right in front of him. And he just goes to the doctor. He can do it. He's well able. They thought that the coughing would be too painful, you see, with the nine ribs. But pain is a real mental thing. That's what I've learned, you know. And uh, it's actually very interesting what you brought up about the psychology of injury and coming back, Lauren. Because when I woke up, I had this unreal drive. I remember the first thing I remember in Trilly is this, this red-haired woman coming into my face and she asked me, do you want a priest? You know, do you want a priest? No and I was like, I said, F no, I'm not dying. <laughs> and I didn't even know at that stage what happened because my memory was wiped of it. I don't even remember falling. And I read later that that happens in traumatic instances. There was a lot of studies done in it of soldiers coming back from war who don't remember the most traumatic experiences that happened to them because for survival, the brain just removes it from you. But anyway, I was certain that I didn't need this priest. But um, later on in my recovery, when I had more time to reflect, my mind played such an important role in my body coming back to itself. But I had a nurse uh, coming to me, Brida, and she was fantastic because she wasn't just helping me physically. She was talking to me a lot. And what I didn't realize at the time was she understood how much trauma is involved with getting that close to death. And she was really talking me through things. And I realized the one part of my body that wasn't healing was my shoulder. And, you know, it's amazing how you feel. And it sounds crazy. But when I really thought deep, I had a resentment for my shoulder for that. I actually hated my own shoulder, which makes no <laughs> sense, I know. But I had this angry feeling towards it because I was so driven to get better. And I felt like it wasn't playing along, which makes no sense, I know. But no, it's it when I really analyzed those feelings and then she did this exercise with me where I kind of thought about all the things my shoulder had gone through for me. So I actually had broken it when I was 12 off a horse. I used to ride wild horses that time. I'm known for my good life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as well as that, like all the hits it's taken, like you say, playing sport and things. And 
Uh, my shoulder, this shoulder actually carried four coffins before I was 20 years of age. Like it's been through a lot. And now in its time of need, I was here hating it, you know? Mm. So it sounds very uh, hippy dippy no. is what I call it. But what I started to do was we worked on loving it, you know, appreciating the shoulder. And it's crazy the effect that, that can have physically. And you'll probably say from a science point of view that there's no connection now or whatever. But I had a scan two weeks prior to this that said there was no healing going on in this bone and they didn't know why. And a month after that, there was scaffolding down. The bone was aligned. It was healing up. Just at the same time as this mentality changed, I found physically it was getting stronger. My range of motion was coming back. I feel like it was being held back by the mentality I had. And that when I changed that, I don't know if it's a hormonal thing in your blood or what, but when my outlook changed, my body just like followed suit. So I'll come in here with some of the science to back you up. <laughs> do, do, that's beautiful. <laughs> so no, like even when we look at the, the psychology of, of behavior in terms of like, if there's a part of your body that you hate, you're not going to look after it very well in terms of how you actually treat it. And when it comes to like a shoulder joint, for example, if you disregard that shoulder joint, you're not going to engage in rehab as appropriately as you would have prior to that. Um, you're not maybe going to kind of engage it in kind of normal activities of daily living. So you're not going to basically be stimulating that shoulder to kind of adapt and change. Like I'm a firm believer that a lot of our behaviors are linked. Um, behaviors don't work in isolation, I suppose is kind of what I'm trying to say. And secondly, when you think about kind of even just thinking about the shoulder and thinking about the shoulder healing, visualization has a, has a massive scientific um, base, I suppose, and kind of even thinking about the shoulder healing will start to stimulate areas in the brain that actually are responsible for that. And that will kind of further strengthen that process, that physiological process to happen. Um, and I've read numerous studies in relation to kind of thinking about, let's say, hamstring strengthening, looking at someone else strengthening their hamstring and seeing physical improvements in strength happening in your own hamstring so like there is a lot of science behind this so I'm going to qualify what you said and say that yes there is a lot of science behind that um, but it's interesting to kind of hear it from your point of view um, and as well I like that you um, mentioned I suppose the amount of healing your body did with a, like not a huge amount of assistance obviously not to like disregard obviously the help of the medical staff and the and the, the nurses and, and the various different people and um, that helped you along the way but I think we don't give our bodies enough credit for what they can do um like I experienced um, a medical issue back in December myself and now I'm able to run like 13 kilometers when then I couldn't sit up in the bed and it's I suppose just giving your body the time and respect that it deserves and kind of the being aware of what it can do if you support it in, in a positive way completely and the method I used it's similar to what you were saying about visualization was affirmations so I had to analyze what I was saying in my inner voice and like that's when I realized that I hated my shoulder I was saying using words like weak and you know saying it's not healing and then I wasn't using it it was in a sling and you know I was picturing it like dead like this arm was dead you know and that was going nowhere but I had to change the words I was using. So things like you're healing, you're strong, you know, literally talking to my shoulder and picturing it working again the way it used to or even better. And I just found such a change in the feeling. And then it was amazing that the scans reflected that. 
Mm, and that's amazing to hear and I love that because that's exactly why I chose to study injury and psychology of injury so it's great to kind of hear that from a personal experience um you're back into kind of rehab now I know you've been seeing a couple of different physios and um kind of continuing on your I suppose um rehab from a couple of different angles that's obviously far reduced in terms of the function that you used to have compared to kind of what you're kind of working through at the moment how have you found that in terms of again you're kind of your mindset towards that is that difficult to take or how do you look at it yeah it's uh, it's bad for the ego you know going uh, from benching what 90 to benching zero but, um, <laughs> i love seeing progress that's what motivates me you know when i see my range of motion increase when i feel a bit stronger that's what keeps me going but exercise has played a massive role in my recovery even when my ribs were still broken i had started squatting and things and i was still in the boot you know but I just needed to feel, I'm a very hands-on person. I had to feel I was doing something to not only speed up this process, but to aid it, to have some role in it. And um, so I'm doing circuits now for my legs and everything. My arms are slowly getting there. Um, for this one, it's the wrist, for my left arm and for my right arm, now my shoulder. But I've started um, with resistance bands. So it actually has come on quite a bit, especially very recently in time. Um, yeah, so I think the physical activity aspect of it is huge and what I've realized is going forward now even when I am all healed when these bones are perfect and all that I don't want to lose that part of my life where I'm dedicating time to my body mm -hmm. you know it's always been something like when you take it from the family aspect your body is just a tool to get a job done whereas now I'm focusing on my body what it needs what's going to benefit it and I don't think that kind of mindset is going to leave me at all so I'm hoping that I'll end up even stronger maybe than I was beforehand, you know? And definitely now in sport, I'd like to get more involved, you know, playing a team and especially get back into the rowing now would be nice, you know? But in the strange way, this, this accident that has been a tragedy in so many ways has changed my outlook on life so much for the better. I'm so much more appreciative of the time I have, but I'm also quite proud of myself, which in Irish culture is not something we really say. <laughs> You know, we have this bad self-image, which is something I've noted, and it links back to the language as well. But I am proud of myself for what I've done. But there's a thing called taftanir in Irish, and it kind of means to, to bounce back, to come back from adversity. And I think we need to recognize in ourselves and pat ourselves on the back when we do have that, because we're all facing struggles every day, but we're so hard on ourselves in our own mind, in the voice that's in our head. We are so critical of ourselves, and there's no need for it. Yeah, because... I was going to ask you, and you kind of answered it already in terms of like quantifying progression and kind of getting that like feeling or that feeling of success, I suppose, and feeling of, of improvement and kind of know like, because again, we, we are so hard on ourselves and we can be so hard on ourselves. So like you could easily say that I haven't succeeded. I haven't come back from this until I can bench 90 again. But yeah. it seems to me that you're kind of taking each day and kind of appreciating the improvements every little day and that feeds your sense of kind of self-belief and kind of pride in yourself as opposed to that kind of really really long-term goal away that's very far away and starving yourself of that kind of encouragement until you get there um so I suppose for anyone that's listening that would be definitely something that I would recommend anyways to kind of look at kind of yeah you can have a long-term goal but what are the kind of the, the mini goals along the way that get you there that give you that self of like, I'm actually, I'm doing well here. I'm progressing. I'm, I'm improving all the time. Yeah. It's so important to have short-term achievable goals. And uh, 
you actually reminded me there in training horses and dogs, there's a phrase to give them a win, to give them a win. So say the long-term goal for a dog, obviously is to be able to gather sheep and all that. But if, if you bring a puppy out to a field and say, bring in the sheep, you're going to be disappointed. It's not going to happen. The puppy hasn't a clue. So there's small steps along the whole way that you develop. What you do is you make a big deal out of them. So I remember when Brandy was something like 12 weeks, she just barked at a cow. All she, all she did was bark. And I was saying, great girl, that's the job. You know, and she had no idea why I was so happy, but it showed her, okay, moving these animals is the right thing. And although she was so far from my long-term goal, giving her the win, giving her the bit of motivation, the praise that you're on the right track, that is what leads to the long-term goal. And it's the very same with ourselves. If I can say to myself, Jesus, Shane, you went up that hill really well. You did. I know how many squats so well. Great job. You know, you're, you're a bit boosted rather than thinking, oh, yeah, but sure, at Christmas time, you could have done that 10 times over, you know, because there's no point comparing to an unattainable goal because you're always going to be disappointed. All I do is compare to myself yesterday. You're after nailing the whole point of this podcast. So for that, thank you. And I'm just listening there. You said, oh, you know, you have to train the the, the puppy to, to round up sheep. And I said, there's people listening, kind of looking at their dog going, you're useless. You <laughs> <laughs> my, my analogies tend to be too agricultural i hope that uh, your <laughs> listeners are getting it but uh, that's where i'm from um before we finish up um because i know we could spend and again there's low like we could talk about like irish language we could talk about like your college your, there's so many things you can talk about but this is i'm trying to stay on topic as much as possible and um, so i'll have to come back for the the irish show um a little bit later or, or, or i'll interview you on. next time for that so <laughs> Ask Elga, yeah Ask Ask Elga. Elga. <laughs> okay so we're gonna go with a quick fire round and i know right. you've heard some of these before but the first one is your top three social media accounts to follow lauren gilfoyle <laughs> not biased um i'm really enjoying what Raz personal is doing with the hike life it's just making it so accessible for people because i love nature as you know but just the different trails around the country that we don't appreciate and i feel up until the lockdown Social media was so focused on, look at this place in Spain, look at this in Greece, you know, like get out of the country. Whereas I feel we've got this opportunity to admire the country we have. I really enjoy that. And uh, as well, just for my soul, there's this uh, Instagram account, uh, Cats with Cowboy Hats. I was looking at them a lot when I was in hospital. You'd be amazed what it can do for your morale to look at a cat wearing a cowboy hat, right? I swear by it. For anyone's mental health, look that up. They have, they have little <laughs> captions as well, like, you know, they're saying things. But, uh, yeah, that's an account now that, is, that has got me through a lot. You'd be amazed. Okay, I'm going to have to check that one out. Do. Um, the exercise or activity that you absolutely hate to do. You just can't. Oh, like, that I hate to do. We all have one. For me, it's single leg squats. I hate them. I know, I love them. There's a great feeling of achievement in that. <laughs> See, I'm terrible. I love, I love exercises that put me through loads because i feel like great i feel fantastic after uh it what do i like sport now it might be golf or something you just can't get it or yeah i'm not i'm not much for that kind of sport to be honest with you. sorry for the golf players out there but uh i know there's so much to them and i think that my lack of understanding the beauty of it is just my lack of knowledge about it it's definitely such a tactical mm-hmm. game and there's so much skill involved but i just can't watch it like i can't <laughs> imagine that i could play it just standing there hit the ball Okay, go to the ball, hit the ball. I know I'm really making it simplified there, but uh, yeah, probably golf would not be up there as one of my top sports. 
Cool. And lastly, one uh, activity or exercise goal that you have on your bucket list. On my bucket list. Yes, I want to bench 120 kgs. <laughs> but that's very long term. Uh, yeah. I'm supposed to get stronger, you know. I'm kind of looking scrawny now. I lost 12 kgs after the accident. Like, so, I, and I, you know, trying to get weight back, I've developed like a bit of a gut. I don't <laughs> like that either. So, <laughs> so I suppose. Just yeah. If I'm going to be honest now, my real exercise goal is probably just to be happy and healthy in my own body, to have it functional, that I can do the things that make me happy. And once I've that box ticked, that's all I need. Yeah. No, I can completely. Um empathize with that when I was sick in hospital I was like I just want my body to like function mm-hmm. and just be able to do what it needs to do and to look after it and like I can stop giving out about like that body shape or this body shape just I, I all I want is a body that is able to function and not be under too much stress yeah and look if if looking fantastic is a side effect of it look I'll put up with it I'll do it you know will <laughs> take that on the chin I'll take it um, and just finally before we, we fully finish off um, where can we find you where can we follow you what are you doing how can we kind of catch up with you well I'm a hard man to keep up with but uh, if you want to follow me day to day I'm on Instagram kerry.cowboy and now and again I, when I feel inspired I put up a video on TikTok that people seem to enjoy so that's Kerry Cowboy so a couple hundred thousand by the looks of things <laughs> thank you so much for your time today Shane thank you Lauren for having me thank you for joining us on that really really enjoyable conversation with Shane O'Sullivan where we spoke about the realities of farming in modern day Ireland his lack of need for a gym early days but his desire to find a release for all his new energy once he moved to college and lastly we spoke about a pretty delicate topic in his recent significant accident and his battle back to regain his full strength we hope you enjoyed it stay tuned for more This podcast was brought to you by Soundspace, the go-to place for all the latest podcasts on topics such as mental well-being, nourishment, parenting, and health and fitness.